a playlist original. Hey, you guys, I'm Steven. I'm Giselle. And we are the Lover's Passport, and welcome back to another episode of Unfiltered Adventures. This is going to be our last episode of season two, and we are going to be talking all about Japan. We just got back from spending a week exploring Japan through Tokyo, Kyoto, and Mount Fuji, and a couple other off the main track spots. And can I just say, we're pretty amped. I think Japan is now one of our top new favorite countries. It definitely blew us away in more aspects than one from the food the culture, the views, like everything was really, really great that trip. We actually had weather that cooperated with us. So shocker there. There was only one day of rain, you guys. And that was our travel day. So we actually got pretty lucky. Yeah, I feel like that's a first. I feel like we started this podcast and all we've been saying is like, oh, the weather's been crapping on us or this has gone wrong. There wasn't really much that went wrong on this trip besides we But we'll had, get into. Yeah, we had a little, uh, <laughs> besides. That's always the but, but, but. <laughs> Anyways, the first thing about Japan that you guys should know is how safe it is. And this kind of ties into what went wrong on our trip because the first thing that happened was I lost my passport, my wallet, literally everything in my fanny pack, which is my lifeline when we're traveling, like the third day we got in Japan. And we left it in a 7-Eleven of all places. And I was freaking out because we were getting ready to go to another location. And I noticed it wasn't in my bag exactly where I'd put it. And we'd only gone to 7-Eleven in between the last time I'd seen it. So Stephen went into 7-Eleven and sure enough, they were kind enough to turn it into the police station. So we were able to go retrieve it back and nothing had been taken from it. The police station was so nice and helpful. And then later, our friend Chas, who we've had on this podcast before, her name's Through the Lens on Instagram. She lost her $6,000 camera set up in a porta potty at a cherry blossom festival. And someone also returned it to the festival, and we were able to drive back like an hour later, and it was still there. So that was our first intro to how great the people in Japan are. It was just probably one of the safest feelings we've had traveling anywhere yeah like driving around i mean if you drive around la you're gonna see bums on the side of the freeway you're gonna see graffiti everywhere trash everywhere trash yeah it's just it's a very dirty city like you drive around no one in the entire world is gonna be like oh la is so clean but i don't think the entire time we were in japan even them having one of the biggest populations in the world in tokyo it was so clean there was no trash on the floor i don't think i saw one homeless person the whole time we were walking around there was no graffiti all the buildings looked pretty clean maybe a little older because they have some of the more like traditional buildings that have been left there because japan has been around for so long but it was very very interesting to kind of go around just the i feel like that was the first real culture shock was just being surprised at how safe and clean and nice everything was but i get the opposite of the u.s yeah i feel like it has a lot to do with just the people so talking a little bit about the people is i've never met like more respectful kind people i feel like when you're just walking around like everyone is super respectful everyone dresses in suits i mean oh the fashion was top notch like we felt no, actually, I didn't feel underdressed because I did bring some nice long coats and stuff. I felt underdressed. But yeah, everyone looked so nice. Like you were riding the subway and everyone's in full on suits and like long coats and fancy shoes. And there's tons of ladies just walking around in like heels and stuff. Like they dressed the nines everywhere in Japan. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting too. I think it's just, I mean, when you see the kids going to school too, they're all wearing uniforms and they're wearing like nice skirts or like a full 
three-piece suit with ties on even from like the younger kids everyone is dressed to the 10 so I think it just starts when they're in school and it probably carries on as they get older and start going to business school or start going to the regular jobs but yeah that was very very interesting another thing I think right off the bat was the public transportation can I just say was ridiculous we've traveled to quite a few different countries now we've been to 20 different countries over 20 yeah and out of all of them I feel like most of the time we have to rent a car in order to get from A to B or we have to fly from the bottom of the country to go to the other side with Japan you can literally take trains everywhere and they aren't just like normal trains they're like very nice they're they have wi-fi i don't think there was there was maybe what one train or one or two buses out of a seven day trip that was five minutes late everything else was so on time it was the most trustworthy nice way to get around the country if you guys are used to european like train travel you know that some countries are way worse than others like i remember when i studied abroad in the netherlands and we'd wait for trains in belgium and germany like you could never expect them to be on the right time So this was a nice surprise, actually. And aside from the regular transport system, the bullet trains were so cool. Oh my gosh. Like we took took a few different bullet trains. We took one from Kyoto to Tokyo, and then we did one from Suzuka to Kyoto. And um, yeah, it was really, really cool. I wish we had bullet trains here. They were so fast and effective, and you literally get in a place like half the amount of time it would take driving. They're so smooth. I thought the cool part for me was when we made turns, because they're going so fast on like a car like you lean a little bit but on the bullet train like it really you feel how fast you're going yeah it was crazy to look outside because we rode like i feel like there's three different types of trains that we rode there was like the normal ones when we were in mount fuji that a little bit slower they're more traditional it's what you'd find in like some switzerland areas and then yeah and like and then there's the subway and the regular trains and those ones went pretty fast but they aren't going as fast as the bullet train then you go on the bullet train you're like whoa this is this is luxury but all of them are very different like The bullet trains were very organized, all of them. For the most part, outside of like three cars, it's all reserved seating. So you're, you can just kind of sit down and enjoy. The subway during peak rush hour. Oh, my oh gosh. man. That was like our first shock. We were taking the subway back from the airport to get to our Airbnb. And it was rush hour. It's, it's like rush hour from around five o'clock to seven o'clock. And it was packed. You are getting shoved. You are face to face with a stranger. Like, yeah, there is, it I've is never, up close and personal. I don't think I've, ever felt more claustrophobic than when we were in there yeah and with all of our camera backpacks and stuff you literally cannot move apparently i looked it up and it's actually the busiest public transport in the entire world which makes sense because it's really really good and what's something else that like i thought was really interesting was everywhere in japan was open so late and like hundreds or thousands of people were out and about like just at like 10 or 11 o'clock on a weekday did you yeah, notice that it was it was super funky we went to the busiest street in the entire world it's called shibuya crossing really really cool spot to go and like take photos relax it's kind of fun to just walk across with a couple other thousand people we did it a few times but i mean even coming back from that it was like 10 10 30 at night and the like crowds from that to at seven o'clock when we were there earlier were the same exact crowds. And that wasn't just in Tokyo. That was everywhere we went. Even in Kyoto when we were walking around, it was like late at night, like pitch black. And there's like kids out and adults and everyone's still dressed in their suits. It was super interesting they to see. They don't sleep 
but then they do sleep. Okay, they literally, people just fall asleep everywhere in Japan. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's quite you're funny. on the train, people are asleep. You're just walking by, people are asleep, like at the Starbucks or something. So I think it, it probably has something to do with the crazy, insane work hours there. Like they just work all day. Yeah. I've and, heard some really interesting things about Japan work culture. And I mean, it's very different because I feel like going back to like the culture and the respect and in their families, they work so hard to respect their family and show that their family is like strong and like good. make a good name exactly yeah. where i feel like in the u.s people are like no screw work people need to pay me more for me to go and show up and they people just always avoiding work no one dresses up for work anymore everyone just shows up and casual it's just that's me i com- work in athleisure i mean we also work <laughs> from home but it, it's just such a different like mentality going into it and another thing that i thought was very very interesting was when you are on the public transit like you can't talk on the phone there's no loud music. There's no loud conversations. Like I think of New York. And when you're in New York, there's always that one or two people on the train that are on the phone or listening to blasting Daddy music Cappies. or yeah, they're trying to talk. When you get on there, everyone is dead silent. Everyone's like you got could, their earbuds in. Yeah. Every single person is looking down at their phone. You can like literally something. hear a pen drop, I feel like. and it Steven was, was the loudest one on I, every train. I feel like I could <laughs> breathe loud and I would be the loudest one. And it, it was just so interesting to see that. And it wasn't like people were being antisocial. It was like on the train, they were all just working everyone was working or on their phones or sleeping Those... which is why we loved them because all the trains and things in japan had wi-fi which is if you guys have listened before like our biggest pain point as like digital nomads so we were stoked that they had wi-fi everywhere we still got eSIMs for the trip or at least steven did i just used the t-mobile like international plan but it was super nice like you technically really didn't need to buy an eSIM if you were doing a ton of public yeah, transport I feel, and I feel stores like we, and stuff talking about wi-fi now that you bring that up i feel like maybe that was one reason that we loved it so much is <laughs> all of our airbnbs every train every single place you went and ate and even if you weren't eating somewhere you could pull up your phone and you'd find some type of public wi-fi the amount of public wi-fi there was absurd plus a little travel hack we did buy an eSIM. if you've never heard of holofly this is not sponsored but it's great you can download it before your trip it's super easy to use we used it for the entire trip and had no problems we at all we use that like literally everywhere that's our like go-to and yeah. if you guys want a coupon code dm us we'll send you one yeah but um, i feel like that it, it was mind-blowing to see how fast the internet and upload speeds were i mean we were uploading stuff to be able massive files of dozens and dozens of gigabytes and they'd upload like no problem it was so, like we yeah. were back home I would say Japan is a very digital nomad friendly area to visit. And it's also very friendly going back to the safety for like solo females because I know that's a question people ask all the time. So those two categories, Japan's a great travel category for you. And I I feel like next let's talk briefly about the food. The food there was fantastic. It was some of the best food I think we've had while we're traveling and also some of the most affordable. Yeah, Yeah. it was crazy how cheap everything was. Even meals at 7-Eleven were fantastic, you guys. Like you could, we had had several 7-Eleven meals and they were all pretty good. There were a few exceptions. Some of the noodles were kind of meh, but like the gyoza from 7-Eleven and, oh, you know, the bao buns, the bao buns, they were all really, the really cakes. good. We probably spent like $8 on dinner there for the two of us and we got a ton It of was ridiculous. We could literally get like two beers, a bottle of um, sake, dinner for both of us, appetizers and dessert for all like 10 or $11. It was, it was crazy. Ridiculous. And I mean, even like in the States, you can go out and buy a beer for $11 
at some spots. I yeah. was like, yo, this is insane. This it's, is It's definitely a budget-friendly destination as well. And even like we had the best ramen meal of our entire life at this place called Ichiran. Oh man. Apparently, they now have a location in New York. So if you're in New York, you got to go try this place. But it was incredible. Literally, Steve and I just sat there like questioning why we've ever eaten any other ramen in our entire life after. And it was just a cool experience. Like yeah. you so basically it's like this little tiny storefront and I remember the first time I think did you find them the first time I found it, yeah. yeah we walked up to this place and they were like 50 minute wait and there was like 20 people in line we were like what is happening and this and, was the one near the Shibuya crossing it's yeah, like Tokyo. the most famous one but there are Ichiban locations all over Japan so we ended up going to the one in in, in Kyoto. Kyoto instead. Yeah, but anyway, you pay right in the beginning. You tell them what you want. And the nice thing is you can customize it. They give you like a little piece of paper and they say like, do you want thick noodles or thinner noodles? Do you want more spicy, less spicy, more garlic, less garlic? It's like Subway for ramen. And you can even order more nudes. Like let's say you- <laughs> More nudes. <laughs> more noodles for those of you with dirty minds. But if you put it in the bowl and they give you the ramen, if you run out and you still have extra of the soup, they'll give you more noodles and you can pay more for that. So it was you choose all that in the beginning, then you wait in line. But when you sit down, you don't sit at like a little ordinary table. Imagine like a little testing cubicle like almost. Cubbies. It reminded me of like I was taking an SAT. Yeah. Like you sit down and there, it was funny because there's like a little, bl- there's blinds in front of you basically. So you'll see the blinds open and they hand you your drink and then the, they close. You have no idea who's handing you this stuff. You just see two hands and food popping in and out. You're like, oh, that was cool. Not two minutes later, it pops open, bowl of noodles comes out. I was it like, oh so my fast. gosh. Yeah, it was like five minutes from the point of when we sat down and then i don't know i feel like they do that so you can focus on the food they do that's what they want like in their company culture they write it all out on the wall in japanese and they want you to focus on the food and have it like be an individual experience and i think it's also so they can feed more people faster you're not yeah. just like talking in the restaurant for a couple of hours that is very true but yeah we we were stoked on that restaurant and they have stuff online that you can or i don't know online but you can definitely buy stuff from them while you're there. I was really debating packing some of their like kits to make ramen at home with me, but I just didn't have enough room in my suitcase. Yeah, it was, that was amazing. Apparently Japan has the most Michelin star restaurants out of any country in the entire world, which Which I thought was crazy. I can see that. We didn't hit any, which is disappointing, but next time I'm sure we will definitely go back and do some of those. But normally- I will say, I'm going to cut you off here. I will say if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, though, you are going to struggle in Japan. They're very heavy pork and seafood-based diet for sure. And most of them don't do accommodations yeah. for like dietary restrictions and things like that. So just as a heads up, you're going to have to really do your research in advance if you are vegan, especially. Vegetarian, you could probably fly by. I feel like but... we found one vegan spot and that was, like it was like ramen. a random Indian place. It was yeah. really, really good, but it was, we didn't, we went there by accident. Yeah, but, we're not vegan. Yeah, but... <laughs> everyone that we've talked to has definitely said like, it's very difficult to travel. I feel like, like you said, vegetarian would be easier because you can yeah. ask for things without meat, but especially with vegan it's very very difficult and then talking about food still i think it's super important to look up the reviews if you're not from japan on yelp or not maybe not yelp but like TripAdvisor, and see what they read because there was one spot that we went in mount fuji where we were like oh stoked yeah, we, we have an air we have an airbnb we have a restaurant directly next to us let's just wait we'll walk over there we'll get dinner because it's so close so we walked over to this place and we walked in we were like okay table for four and they were like no get out get out and we were like what and they were like no table get out and we were like and it was open and there were like two people in the whole restaurant and then we read the reviews and turns out they're known for being quite racist towards foreigners yeah so i mean maybe 
maybe they just don't want to deal with the language barrier. They want more locals in there. It's their business. They can choose. I'm sure in California they would get sued for something. But... I was going to say, that was definitely the first time I've ever blatantly gotten discrimination for being like a white person in a foreign country. Do you think it was more that we were white or more that we didn't speak the language? I'd be interested if there was like both. an American Japanese person that doesn't speak Japanese but looks like they're Japanese. Like passing. And then they know. go inside. And I'm curious if you would have the same reaction or all if the it Google- was... All the Google reviews from previous people said that it was like, if you are not Japanese, they will probably not sit you. So, yeah, yeah so lesson learned. Make, and I've heard that's not just that restaurant. I heard it's quite a few restaurants in Japan. So just make sure you read the reviews. There's lots of really good reviews that we found online. And that's how we found all the places that we went to eat. But also there are lots of restaurants that may not speak English, but they are so accommodating. And if you have Google Translate, you can have a conversation with your waiter in real time where it will translate Japanese to English. We only actually had to use that one time uh, in like a very small town that we went to but it worked out really well and they're all super understanding and most of them do understand very simple english or you can like point to a picture on the menu and they'll understand but yeah we don't speak japanese i actually did try to learn some on duolingo before we left but it is literally such a difficult language to learn and i i've learned some spanish and french before but japanese is like a whole new game you cannot learn that quickly so just learning some of the simple phrases in advance is good but yeah, actually trying to learn it, you would have to be prepping for that trip for at least a year. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just to get the basics down. Anyway, let's start talking about a few of the different cities. So out, we started off in Tokyo. We're not going to rank these from like favorite to least favorite, but we'll start in like the order. So Tokyo itself, we were expecting lots of cherry blossoms, but we just went a little too early. Our trip for this was March 8th through March 16th, which is good for plum blossoms and like a couple other small variations of blossoms that happen in Japan. But if you're really looking to visit Japan and want to catch the good blooms, you're probably going to want to go more from like March 15th to April 15th. I would say the last week of March, first week of April is prime time, but it's also going to be the busiest. So you have to keep in mind that during that time in Japan, kids are getting off of school and families are taking vacation. Like Japanese families are also taking vacations to go see the Sakura. So it's going to be really busy. So we got lucky with crowds for the most part we went to most busy places during the sunrise in all the cities that we went and didn't have too much of a hard time but when we've heard it gets pretty crazy during peak season for the for the cherry blossoms yeah just because you have the tourists and the people in japan yeah makes sense it's like traveling in the u.s during summer or fall colors oh that's true yeah very true everyone's coming into the east coast and so are people from all over the u.s but yeah that's probably the best time to go if you are looking for cherry blossoms now if you want other things to do near tokyo or mount fuji etc like summer would probably be a good time like if you want to go climb mount fuji you can't do that any time of the year besides like summertime over there i've heard fall is also really cool and you get really cool peak colors around like kawaguchi and the mount fuji region so that's another thing to consider but obviously cherry blossoms are really what japan is known for in terms of the natural landscapes yeah very very true tokyo itself was pretty cool i feel like for me it was a little too remind me of sydney busyness it reminded me of sydney mixed with new york yeah i can see that like in sydney i don't know if you missed our last episode on australia but we weren't the biggest fans of sydney when we were there 
everyone just felt like they were like you were invisible. Everyone was going so fast paced. Everyone was so focused on their work. It was so just New a, York. Yeah, it was just a crazy <laughs> busy city. But I feel like it was New York on steroids. Personally, Tokyo was kind of a mix between the two where it was that kind of busyness. But also it was like times it by 10 because of how big the population was. Yeah. So everywhere we went, it was just crazy busy crowds everywhere but, from 7am to the evening. It was just very, yeah. very busy. I would just say we're not like huge city people, though, yeah. to be fair. Like there are some cities we love, like London, Amsterdam, like we love old cities like that. And I think to- Tokyo is just a little more modern for us. So we didn't enjoy it as much. And there were a few things that we didn't get to do, which I'm, I'm sure would have made our Tokyo experience more like high on our list. Like the go-karts for Mario Kart that we really wanted to do. They booked out really far in advance. And some companies don't even do that until April. So that's kind of a bummer. We, we even go- got our international driver's permit so we could do it. You have to have that in Japan if you want to drive, you guys. You have to go into a AAA location and get an international driver's permit. So we did that because we thought we were going to be able to do it. But book your tours really far in advance. That's a lesson learned from this one. We kind of dropped the ball on this one we planned it entirely once we got back from australia it's like less than a month before yeah it was a very quick trip i feel like the things that we went to japan to see were the cherry blossoms the beautiful mountains the scenery and the temples and i feel like out of all the places that we went tokyo probably had the least amount of temples and i heard from we were talking to one of the local or he was not a local but he's lived there now for four years on our plane flight back from japan and he was saying that they're just always working the construction workers are always tearing down buildings building up another one tearing down the next building tearing up building up another one just loud and busy yeah so i think that is probably why there aren't so many temples because they would rather tear them down and put up a big office building that's going to bring in a lot more income rather than keep some of those older temples but there's not a lot of temples i mean we went to a really cool one um, I think it was called the Sensoji Temple. I could be wrong. Check our Instagram highlights. Um, and that one was really awesome and it had a really cool market street. And that was, I think, our favorite area that we visited in Tokyo. Definitely my favorite. And it was, it definitely felt more traditional. And you could do this whole like tourist trap thing of like getting a, a fortune and tying it up if you had bad fortune or taking it with you if you have good fortune. They do that in a few different temples around uh, the around all of Japan, actually. We saw it again in Kyoto, a different one. But yeah, I thought it was really cool. The architecture was crazy cool. I think Kyoto is definitely more known for the temples. Yeah, like that's Stephen what I was, was thinking. Saying. I wonder if at one point, do you ever think that Tokyo had more and was more similar so. to Kyoto? I think it's just like, Tokyo had a lot of like small shrines, True. but I just don't think that's what it was known for. I feel like when you think of temples, you think of Kyoto. Yeah, And I mean, the other thing that's near Tokyo that a lot of people love is the Disneyland in Tokyo. But we actually heard some mixed things on this. Oh, yeah. We met... Okay, so we did a food tour through Airbnb and we did like a whole ramen making class and gyoza making class which was super fun I highly recommend it it was a really good experience and during that we had one other girl on our tour and basically she went to Tokyo Disney and she's a big Disney gal and she was like dude Disney in like California versus Disney in Tokyo is such a different experience she said the wait times are just ridiculous she said it would take like an hour just to get like a churro or a pretzel not even a ride. It would take that long. So you just kind of have to go into it with a long, or I guess like a lot of patience. Yeah. And she was also saying that she feels like the Disneyland there was made for Japanese locals compared to being made for like people from foreigners coming in and wanting to visit. So it was just something like she thought the one in LA or the one near us in Anaheim in California, Disneyland, she thought it, said it was very, very different than the one that was out there in Tokyo. So, so just keep that in mind. 
mind if you're visiting. We yeah, can't vouch. Yeah, we, we didn't, didn't go. go. But... This was just what she was telling us. But I thought that was very interesting. We only got to spend like one day in Tokyo a as well. A day and a half. So yeah. it was very, very quick before we headed off to the spot that we were super excited about, which is Mount Fuji. Yes. And I wish if we did have more time, I think we would have done like the Shibuya Sky. And I think we would have also done the Mario Karts and the Dream Labs Museum. If you guys have seen pictures of the Dream Labs thing, it's absolutely worth it. We talked to a lot of people that did do it and said it was cool. We just couldn't squeeze it into our schedule since we had a ton of other things. So if you guys are planning your trip to Japan, check it out. Book your tickets in advance. They do require reservations for the most part if you want to guarantee you to go in. And I think the tickets are only like 20, 25 bucks. Yeah, they're so. not super expensive. But, but you do have to select a time slot Yeah, in advance. try and go early if you can. I've heard that it gets very, very busy later in the day. That's a trend in all of Japan, by the way. <laughs> like literally go everywhere early as possible because there's so many crowds. I thought it was funny because I was going through comments today on one of our Japan posts and they were like, wow, it looks like no one was there. Like, was it crowded? And I was like, oh no, <laughs> like it was definitely crowded. You have to wait for your window for any content you want to shoot or you just have to get to every single place early. Yeah, we'll talk more about that when we go to Kyoto. We were, but, I feel like we did a great job avoiding the crowds for the most part. Yeah, we did. And honestly, now that we're getting to our Mount Fuji section, there weren't, it wasn't too bad in Mount Fuji. Especially in Mount Fuji. The one thing that we noticed was there was not a lot of people that stayed in Mount Fuji. I'm assuming most people will just take a little day trip tour bus, go out there for the day, see Mount Fuji and come back. They're not like us and they don't want to shoot sunrise and sunset. And that was the main thing that we wanted to see out there. So I think that if you want to do just a day trip, you're like, oh, I want to see Mount Fuji, but I'm not a photographer. I don't need to spend a lot of time out there. There's not a whole lot to do necessarily out near Mount Fuji besides just check out the different, yeah, look at Mount (laughs) Fuji at the different, we went to like three different viewpoints and then also just go and hike up Mount Fuji. It's only a 12,000 something footer so it's not super high compared to a lot of the mountains out here in the states but I mean it it's really like depends. It's so epic though it doesn't matter how tall it yeah. is unless you're from Colorado and you dig that 14er vibes but like it's just I, a number Yeah, it's just a number but Colorado people make it their personality um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry if you're from Colorado it's true um, <laughs> I feel like the, the crazy thing about Mount Fuji is one of the only places and only mountains we've seen that is so symmetrical and so pleasing to the eye as well as there's no mountains around it. Like so, there's some, but it's not but, like a range. Yeah, it's, it's just there smack dab in the middle. It kind of reminded me of a bigger, like more isolated Mount Rainier. I think Mount Rainier is more thick. When I look yeah. at Mount Rainier, it looks like a, I, I mean, would compare it to being like more chunky, like young chunky Steven compared to like <laughs> Mount Fuji, like a thinner, more aesthetic Steven. Yes. It's, all right. <laughs> So yeah, just picture that. Steven used to be a little chunky, guys. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, the the whole view of Mount Fuji, it's just so majestic. It's just like in front of you the whole time. If you get to see it, apparently it's a very hard mountain to see. We looked up that only 10% of the whole year you are able to see all of Mount Fuji. Yeah, they said it's either during fall or during spring. They said during winter it just rains and snows too much so you don't get a lot of good visibility. visibility. And then during the summer it gets so hot and humid there that there's so much moisture in the air that you can't see it. So we would highly recommend researching if you do want to see Mount Fuji the best times to go and see it and looking at the visibility scale. Everyone in our DMs was telling us, oh my gosh, I can't believe you saw it three days in a row. I 
guess we got really lucky for once i was i was pretty <laughs> amped it was i remember the first spot that we went is called Chirito pagoda and our friends chaz and brad that we were traveling with if you guys are listening, shout out to them. They were awesome. But if we were, when we were traveling with them, they were like, oh yeah, we're most excited to see Chirito Pagoda. Like I'm super stoked. And I was like, oh cool. Like I looked up a couple pictures. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. And it's, I feel like it's a really cool spot because you get this crazy, a pagoda is like a multi-story building temple. So it's like five different stories of a temple. It's a really, really cool spot. And it's red, you know, my favorite color. So, and then it's directly in front of Mount Fuji. And during sunrise, Mount Fuji gets that nice pink glow on it. It has really nice lighting. You get to see over. And the crowds weren't that bad, honestly. There was like 20 20, Yeah, I can imagine during peak cherry blossom, it probably gets (gasps) crazy. I was so sad. There's cherry blossom trees right in front of the boardwalk where you shoot but we were too early so that was a bummer yeah that was totally a bummer but it was still a really beautiful view and definitely recommend doing that for sunrise we ended up taking the earliest train possible from Kawaguchiko which is about like four stops away to go and see that but it was definitely worth it really really cool experience and then after that we decided to go look at it from another angle down from this cool street i think it's called honcho street or yeah something honcho like that. street but we didn't actually intend to go to this famous photo spot we were looking <laughs> for coffee in oh, japan there is like no place besides the markets like 7-eleven or what was it family mart or something like that um that open early enough to have coffee they have coffee at like I think the earliest time possible is like 10 a.m. Like 10, yeah, I was going to say. Or breakfast. Like breakfast is not a thing. Our poor buddy Brad like loves coffee. So every morning he was like struggling to he find was, coffee. And I was like the 7-Eleven one was honestly pretty good. It was pretty I thought fire. it slept. I yeah. feel like we could talk about 7-Eleven for a while too. This but... is just a 7-Eleven like podcast stand. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the we, we were looking for coffee and breakfast because American breakfast really is not a thing. You'll find a lot of Japanese breakfast, which is like a piece of bread and some lettuce <laughs> or some like, I don't know, fish, yeah, something feel, like that. I like, feel like it, the, they don't believe in breakfast. And if they do, it's like you'll find like a donut or like 7-Eleven yeah, had or an the egg best sandwich. breakfast. Egg we, sandwich. We, we went to a few different breakfast like places to sit down and it was like, here's some kale with It was an very egg. healthy and small. Like, and that is why, you know what? I realized like Americans, why Americans two thirds are overweight because our portion sizes compared to Japan massive it was kind of funny we went was it in kyoto that we went to that one breakfast spot and then we went and got food so we went to this we were trying to find coffee this was the struggle of the entire trip and we finally brad finally found one outside the train station so we went to this little coffee shop and apparently it has really dank french toast and they don't even serve french toast until after 11 30 a.m we were like are you french toast is a breakfast food what are you doing putting it so late in the day so there's culture shock first world problems number one and then we we so we started eating our food and it was like kale i had like a some type of fish sandwich or something for breakfast and we were all starving like, after i had like a croissant sandwich or something which was pretty good I'm, I but it's just small yeah it was so small and we we'd already been up for like three or four hours by now done a ton of shooting already that morning so we were all just ready to grub so we finished and we all looked at each other and we were like there's a McDonald's around the corner. Should we just should we just mosey on over there? So we went and got some pancakes, some hash browns. There are no, no hash shame. browns anywhere in 
it feels like McDonald's. all of Japan. Yeah, yeah, so we had to go to go get some some potatoes. We needed them for our system. <laughs> <laughs> no, no shame though. But it's always fascinating seeing what foreign or like international McDonald's carry. I noticed this in Switzerland because I was like, oh, they've got like macaroons at the McDonald's in Switzerland. And then the one in Kyoto had like all these really interesting meals. They had like a what was it? The teriyaki burger? Yeah, they the, instead of a Big Mac, they had like a double teriyaki. Yeah, and then they had a ton of other like oriental burgers and things like that. And then they had like cherry blossom themed drinks and stuff. It was cute. Yeah, I, I mean, they all looked good, but we I just went for the normal. Give me some pancakes, McMuffin. I ordered three hash browns <laughs> and the lady definitely judged me. <laughs> all I, I wanted was more potatoes. Her face was priceless. She's like, three hash brown? I was like, yes. Minimum <laughs> double it actually, make it but, six. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, but yeah, no shame. We we also had the Japanese breakfast that morning, so yeah. it was. Any, fine. Anyway, getting back to Mount, I feel like we have to talk about the coffee shop in Mount Fuji too. After we shot Honcho Road, do you remember yeah. you, me, and Brad all got like the? No, you got granola. It looked like normal cereal. I got like eggs, bacon, and everything. And Chaz and ordered toast, and it took like fifteen minutes to get this toast, and it was literally like the thinnest, just <laughs> one piece of bread. Chaz was like, "I need more food than this. How am I gonna survive?" Yeah. So if you're going, just know breakfast really is not a thing. We went to Seven Eleven and got like choc- mini chocolate croissants for the road every day. <laughs> you know, honestly, the Seven Elevens came in clutch. We would go get coffee there. They had these little strawberry smoothie things, phenomenal, and they also had pancakes, also fantastic. It was. I highly recommend it. Anyway, getting back to Honcho Street, though, it I feel like it's you're only really going to go there if you're a photographer looking yeah. for like well, an interesting composition. It, it just so happened to be that Honcho Street was right next to this coffee shop. That's where I was going with this whole thing. So we did end up shooting that as well right after. And it was a really cool little road, but, you know, it's really trafficy, and they have a ton of signs like, don't go, don't just like set up a tripod in the middle of the road. So if you are shooting it, you do have to shoot it from the sidewalks, obviously, or you're going to get hit by a car. So just yeah. keep that in mind. <laughs> and then the rest of the day, we just kind of got work done, worked on Wi-Fi, um, relaxed for a little bit because we'd been going pretty nonstop in the time change. And then that evening for sunset, we went to this place called Oishi Park. And it was honestly a really, really cool area to view Mount Rainier. I'm sorry, Mount Rainier. Mount to, Rainier. to view Mount Fuji as well. And, and it has a little market. Yeah. We got some soft serve. They have soft serve everywhere in Japan, you guys. It's like... Soft serve and strawberry desserts. I was going to say the strawberries. This is, I feel like that is where we really, it clicked that we saw strawberries were like the main thing. We had strawberry flavored something every single place we went. There were like these strawberry sandwiches. You can buy it at 7-Eleven once again. (laughs) That are are like whipped cream and strawberries and just bread. And they were so good. And then this spot had like these strawberry rolls with similar ingredients. Then they had strawberry ice cream, fresh strawberries. There's strawberry soft serve, like everywhere. And so we made a point to like, I think we also got like street chocolate covered strawberries. We had a lot of strawberries. End of story. Yeah, it was crazy. And I feel like we were there during their peak strawberry season though. Like there must've been dozens and dozens of ones getting, um, that ended, oh, there must've been dozens and dozens of ones that were getting harvested during that time. And then I feel like that view was okay for sunset. And then the next morning, I think this is my favorite view of Mount Fuji is we walked over to, what's the name of the lake? Or, okay, so basically Chas wanted to go off and shoot the Honcho Street again. So she went over there with Brad and then Steve and I got up and had to walk. It was, I think, four miles round trip from our Airbnb over to Lake Kawaguchi. 
and this view was like right outside of a hotel I don't remember the name but we are writing a blog and doing a YouTube video on this whole trip for like actual itinerary planning so if you guys are looking to plan that just keep an eye out for those that will have that information but yeah we were outside of this hotel and Mount Fuji was out a storm was rolling in that day that was our travel day and so there were some moody clouds like right above the lake but we finally get there and Stephen was all worried we we're gonna miss <laughs> miss it because we were walking slow I know apparently. I was like let's get moving we need to make I was sunrise like, I'm just taking in the pretty view you know but I thought I was walking fast but we still made it so that was good um and then these like ducks came out and started swimming across and there was a perfect reflection the reflection was literally mind-blowing it, it was, was frigid cold though i will say it, it was. was really cold outside this whole trip actually like we were packing for the 70s and in the morning and the night times it got cold we were severely underpacked i feel like <laughs> like during the midday it was 70s it was, or like 70 or like 68 and it was totally fine we were all good, but those mornings, oh man, definitely bring layers for visiting in the spring because it was cold. Yeah, I mean, it was hard too because before we were leaving for this trip, we were filming a packing guide video, and the whole goal of the video was to show how minimalist you could pack. And, and how you can and only check, pack in a carry-on. Yeah, pack like the smallest things, only bring a carry-on, and we were like, and we oh, did that. let's do this. We're going we're gonna to live this life, and then we get there, and we're like, it's so cold. What did we do? What did we do to ourselves? <laughs> but I was fine. I packed a lot of jackets in my carry-on. I but put some Steven, of your jackets in my carry-on. Yeah, Steven, on the other hand, had like one jacket the whole trip, so I had to give him one of my sweatshirts that I packed. But, but you know, I feel like we did okay after that yeah. anyway it turned it, out to be his first yeah. shirt actually so it was fine but. yeah but getting back to the crazy reflection at lake kawaguchiko it was so so beautiful but i mean it only lasts for a little period of time we probably shot for like 15 20 minutes and then the fishermen started coming in because it's a very popular fishing lake and that's how they do tours too yeah they do tours all around the lake but we did get the one bucket list shot where there's like the the reflection of mount Fuji and then there's the boat coming across the stream the bunch of fishermen heading to go to work it was just it was like a bucket list shot I was like oh we got it let's go and so. then we went back to our Airbnb started packing up and then I realized that I didn't have my wallet and that was the whole police station debacle yep. but and then we had to walk through walk in the rain pouring rain all the way yeah it was dumping this on car us. came up while we were walking to to go to the train <laughs> station and just absolutely nailed me and Steven with the puddle splash and got all over us it was just like one of those scenes out of a movie you know it when felt like, like a stereotypical movie <laughs> where like someone gets broken up with and you're like walking home in the rain and the car comes and just sprays you and you get soaking wet that's exactly how I felt in that moment yeah it especially was, after losing my wallet that morning i was so mad at myself for losing that but like at we least couldn't I found it. we couldn't help but laugh at the end yeah. uh, at the end we finally got to the place and then we were on a train we basically had a five or six hour travel day to get all the way like, to our last spot which was kyoto four trains later yeah and then that night once we got to kyoto we got to our airbnb kyoto was really different than the other spots because it was very taxi friendly like we didn't really see many taxis around tokyo or Mount fuji so we got to Kyoto and we immediately had to take our first taxi of the whole trip. The rest of the trip, we did public transport the whole time and got around just fine. So we took a taxi over to our Airbnb, had to, we actually had to verify some stuff. So if you guys are traveling and doing Airbnbs or hotels, you typically will have to send your passport in advance as well as like some other personal information to verify like where you're staying. Just I guess that's just a Japanese government thing. 
So we had to stop there, get the get the information, and then we were able to go to our Airbnb. And then immediately we did that cooking class we were telling you about, which was really fun. I'm super excited to come home and be able to make homemade gyoza because we eat gyoza all the time. Yeah, it was. I feel like it was cool. We literally handmade the gyoza, like cut up everything, cooked everything, put it together. It was such a cool experience. To, and we were taught by a local. Like we didn't just so go to like a Gordon Ramsay kitchen and learn how to cook. We like went inside a local's house. She was adorable. Cha- taught us how to do all these different things. It was so fun. Really cool her, experience. Her name on Instagram is like addicted to underscore dashi, which is like one of the main ingredients for ramen. Yeah. Uh, just shoot yeah. us a DM if you guys want her contact when you're out there. Really cool. Yeah. She was super sweet. It is a vegan option, by the way. If you are vegan, there you go. I feel like this we is We unknowingly one... booked two different meals that I were know. vegan. <laughs> and this isn't normally us. We love meat and we love food. So it was very surprising. But you know. It was ma- still really tasty. Like yeah. you couldn't tell it was vegan. Big fan. But yeah. So then the next day was our big day. This is probably our favorite day of the whole trip. We went hard on this day, guys. Yeah. We went in the morning over to which... Some Fushimi of my favorite, Inari? yeah, it was, it was some of my favorite like cultural places, which was Fushimi Inari Shrine. And this is the area where you're going to see like over 10,000 Tori gates lined up all the way up to Mount Inari, which is a very sacred place for a lot of Japanese people. And this area is known, or, or in backtracking here, like Tori gates are known for giving like business prosperity. So that's a big thing. And you'll see tons and tons of people going in and praying at each of the shrines on the way up to Mount Inari. If you guys go all the way to the top, it will probably take you about like two hours, three hours, something like that. But if you guys want to shoot photos here, you have to get there early, like before sunrise. It was another really freezing cold morning, but oh, this I think that was the coldest. Yeah, morning, it was really down. really cold. Like my, my hands, hands were hurt. numb. Yeah. Um, but we had like no one in our shots the whole time, so that was really nice. If you guys come after like what eight o'clock, you are not gonna have that experience. There was just I feel like there was that one photographer there was dude that was one guy. picking us off. Oh my god, he followed us everywhere, and he, like, he didn't just tick us off. He. He was doing this to everyone. Like, there were other people shooting, obviously, at the same time as us. But it's so big. Like, there's so many Tory gates where you can go and find your own angle the more you walk. And this guy just followed. Anytime we set up a shot, he set up a shot. And anytime Chas set up a shot, he did the same thing. And then he literally, we were we were not shooting anymore. But then he, like, set his tripod up in the middle of this very narrow walkway and told all the people coming in behind him, to stop and wait for him to take a picture and then it was just comical yeah like we we finally lost him and we're able to like just go off and do our own thing for a little bit and then he came back at the end and then at the end yeah we're (laughs) literally like right about to exit the really cool photo area and he comes back and we literally just set up our shot and we got there first and there was literally no one else around, like not a single soul except this guy. And he comes up and asks us to move our backpacks and our tripod and camera. He's like, it'll only take 10 seconds. Like, I just want this shot. And I was like, dude, literally, are you kidding me right now? It was just comical. It's it was just like, etiquette, you know? It, yeah. It this was guy's ju- from like Germany or if something. If you guys do have your own tripod and everything, like more power to you. Just be very mindful, you know, of where everyone else is i feel like everyone takes their turn takes their shots we like we really try and be respectful and not like you know if people are walking by we move off to the side move our tripod everything like especially if it's busy which is why we try and go at sunrise so we don't have to do that and this guy was just such a jerk 
Anyway, but th- that area was really, really cool. Some of our favorite shots that I think we got of the trip were in their really cool compositions, really cool history. And especially if you go earlier in the morning, like we talked about, we went before 8 a.m., and that's when it's basically a lot of locals. We saw some locals going up and doing their worships, doing their different morning walks and everything. It was really cool to kind of get up early, see the see Kyoto wake up. And then after that, we headed over to our next shrine, which it was cool. But to me, it wasn't wasn't as epic as I everyone hyped it up to be, I guess. Which one? The gold shrine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was cool, but it was like a walk in the park. Yeah, like, I mean, it was a really busy. We had to take like a forty-minute bus ride where we were standing the whole time because it's so busy. And then we get there, and the first two stories are made out of entirely like gold flake, which so is it was really pretty. Crazy. And I think if you were shooting fall here, this would be a really cool fall color spot. But it was just really average. <laughs> like yeah. I thought it was cool, but like, would I pay? I think it was four hundred yen per person, so about like seven bucks for the two of us to get in, five bucks, to, which is honestly really cheap but it was just really overhyped yeah if it was in the u.s they probably charge you 28 dollars to go in yeah but it took us like maybe 20 minutes to walk around the whole thing i feel like the main thing especially if you're a photographer and you go is you want the crazy reflection but they won't let you take tripods in and you can't shoot a slow shutter speed at without the tripod in order to capture that it was still cool to see i mean the gold leafing on it is worth about eight million dollars and it's gold leafing on the inside because it was an old buddhist temple so Really cool thing to see, cool history. You but probably skip it. Yeah, and then after that, we had we had no. I don't think anyone else wanted to head to this spot, but I really wanted to go to the bamboo forest. Brad and Chas said it was overrated, which honestly I can see, but it was still really cool to shoot. It's the Ariyashima uh, bamboo forest. That was pretty good. Thank you. I'm impressed. I hope I said that right. I don't know. My Japanese is not great, <laughs> and. Yeah, it was really cool. Very busy. We went in the middle of the day. Yeah, we so took, that, a, that's we took on a taxi. Us. Yeah, that's on us. But we were close by, so we were like, okay, let's just do it. And it was really fun. I had a good time checking it out. Steven pulled out his Insta360 and got some funny looks. Yeah, we. It, oh my gosh, the Insta360, I got some hilarious looks. So picture this in your head. Little Insta360, strap it onto a 15-foot pole, stick it up in the air. I'm the only white guy walking down this entire he looked pretty bamboo stupid. forest. I looked hilarious. I literally was like, I don't know him. He is not mine. <laughs> Do not associate me. I get so embarrassed with that kind of stuff. I'm like, leave me out of it. I'm going to be at the end of this over here and you can do your thing, but yeah. I'm not going to be here for it. <laughs> if you want there to be no crowds, we there was it was packed. There were, there were thousands of people walking through this area and even the markets. We did buy some chopsticks, which we're pretty excited about. They were super cool chopsticks, but we there's a ton of spots to go shopping there. We got a pizza there. It was phenomenal pizza by a real Italian chef in the area. So it's just a cool district if you're looking in Kyoto to kind of walk around somewhere midday. But if you do want no one to be there, I would recommend going at like 6 a.m. And I heard we weren't there at 6 a.m. so I don't know but everyone says that there's still tons of crowds there that early in the morning so just kind of pick your shot I feel like we still got some good shots with not a lot of crowds in you them just wait for your window yeah you just kind of be patient maybe bring some bodyguards to block it out a little bit <laughs> we got some killer shots of Chas she had like a really good window and then later on I think I haven't edited those yet but I think we got some good ones so there was that and then after that we went all the way back into Kyoto because we did a really cool cultural experience that this is the one thing I actually booked in advance like a month in advance which was a geisha tea ceremony and I got tons of recommendations from all of you guys on Instagram to do this and I highly recommend the experience so in Kyoto there are geishas are known as uh geiko or geikos and makos so the ones that are in training are the makos and they 
basically they they're forms of entertainment they are japanese entertainers they go to parties they entertain guests they perform the tea ceremony they do dances and i learned all about the dances in my like history of dance class in college so i thought it was really exciting to go see in person and the intricacy and the really like sharp training of these ladies was really really cool to watch and i had no idea really what to expect so we got there and it came with a kimono rental and you got to like choose out your kimono. They like braided your hair and put it up in like a bun and like different hairstyles. And you got to put it like a flower in your hair and get all wrapped up in the traditional dress. And then you get to go in and you watch her dance. We watched a like a springtime dance, which was supposed to represent like a change of seasons, a change of growth and things like that. And then we learned how to prepare the tea and how the... Maiko like has trained to do all of this stuff and it was really really interesting like Maiko's or geishas in general uh can't marry so there used to be like over 20,000 of them and now there's less than a thousand so it's very rare to actually see like a, a geiko or a mako and in Kyoto if I'm saying that right you know so yeah it was a really cool experience that does book out really far in advance and then we got to learn all about matcha and green tea and how to properly whisk the matcha and we had that with like desserts and tea and stuff. And yeah, it was a really, really cool experience. I highly recommend it. It reminded me of like the people from Mulan. You think? <laughs> you know, like they paint the white face, super pretty, beautiful dress. It was. That's exactly. It was cool. I'm it was, sure what that. I thought based it was on. the interesting history of like. It, did you say that they used to be prostitutes? Yeah. No, I did not. So yeah, we learned that after. It, after. <laughs> the, so basically, that they were like entertainers. So they're basically like, if you're in Vegas, they're the stripper that comes to entertain. Okay, the I wouldn't say it, it like that. But in like but a, yeah. ja- a Japan in setting. In the olden times, and it used to be like really young girls. Like they now, had to be under 21, they I think, st- right? So, so the ones in training are in their like 20s, like 20 to 22. But it, apparently they really needed them like early on and they they get as young as like 10 7 to 10 years old like, is that's not anyways the more we read into it we were like Whoa. the more i was like maybe i'm not gonna read into this anymore <laughs> yeah it got a little creepy but it was still really cool piece of the japanese history and it was a cool little tea ceremony the tea wasn't great but it did i, I liked it. it gave me some energy as we did a lot this day to lead into our, the, sunset. our sunset and oh man this sunset was a banger we went up to the kiyomizudera which was pretty close to the tea ceremony location about like a 20 minute drive or 10 minute drive um and it was packed it was really busy but this is like the coolest temple i think in my opinion out of the ones that we went to and the sunset gets you right above all of kyoto so you're overlooking this beautiful pagoda and then also all of uh kyoto so it is a really beautiful sunset definitely more of a like huge landscape area i don't know if you'd come here for portraits of your photographer just as a heads up but yeah really cool there were some cherry blossoms there so we were super stoked on that and um yeah i'd highly recommend that area there's a ton of really bustling market streets leading up to that and it was really cool to see but they do close like right at sunset i wanted to go and check them out after we finished shooting and they were all all shut down so fast yeah it did close down very quickly the whole area is really cool we went back to that area to shoot sunrise again at yakuza yakuza temple that's not 
I think it's Yasaka. Yasaka. That that sounds yeah, more. Yasaka Temple. That sounds better. Or the Kinko G. Yeah. You, if yeah. you do want nobody else in your pictures, we would highly recommend going back to that area during sunrise, kind of seeing the town wake up. And that was our last sunrise out there before we headed to go to Nara. Yeah, Nara was crazy. Nara is known for having like a thousand plus free roaming deer and. Chas actually found the spot <laughs> and it was really interesting experience. They all are taught how to bow and you get to feed these deer like deer crackers that you can buy at any of the local shops and stuff. And they're just, they're all protected deer. Deer are very sacred to the Japanese, or at least they used to even be, they had a status that said they were sacred before World War II is what I was reading. And yeah, so they're, they're all protected. They're all free roaming and you can feed them the little deer crackers, but these things get so aggressive if you stop feeding them. If you want, if you like run out of crackers, they like headbutt you. Dude, I got nailed a few times and they'll literally eat your hand. Like they're, it, we haven't posted it yet on Instagram. Maybe by now we've posted it, but we were literally sitting on the floor with these crackers and there were maybe what, a dozen, half they dozen? They all come up to you. Oh my they're goodness. They're like little puppies, but very aggressive puppies. Yeah. <laughs> but they were, they just roam around that. And then we went over to the adjacent temple next to nara park and they're all there too and it's just hilarious people watching like if you want a good kick out of people watching come here and just sit down on a bench and just watch because you see all these deers like going up to these old ladies and like like headbutting their crotch or something yeah. and it's just really funny there was a few though there was like kids getting chased by like four or five of these deer and like they screaming and crying it was crazy <laughs> it was like the most aggressive uh, deer i've ever seen in my entire life it's because their food condition that would never fly in the united states for sure but yeah it was a fun little time chas i think said that was her favorite spot on the whole whole trip yeah that, that was comical and then after that we we took another long i think it was like a couple hour train ride over to suzuka which is known for their weeping plum blossom trees so we went to the suzuka plum garden or forest garden actually and you do need or i guess there's some buses running over there occasionally but we had to taxi over there and yeah, like schedule a, a taxi back because you're in the middle of nowhere there's not like you're flagging down a taxi so make sure to know that in advance we'll go over all of this in our youtube video too and that was definitely the hardest place i think to to get to travel them. around just because a see everyone was saying the further you get away from kyoto and tokyo the less people understand any English. So I feel like the talking to our taxi driver was just a little bit more difficult. We had full Google Translate mode on, like the conversation. It was very cute. He was so nice. Like yeah. he understood some English for sure and was trying to chat back with us in English. But yeah, we had the the Japanese English real-time conversation thing going. But him and Steven were so cute. We were all watching them converse in the backseat. <laughs> but yeah, he was really dope. And he like scheduled a taxi back for us, even though we didn't speak Japanese. And so that was really fun. And this spot was so cool. We missed peak by like five days and it was still really awesome. And this one blooms, I believe like the first week of March. So we were a little late to this one, a little early to the rest of them. So our timing wasn't great, but this one, it, like you can only find these like Japanese weeping plum blossoms in a very small amount of areas around Japan. Like it's a totally unique tree to Japan. And so I highly recommend checking it out. You guys probably have seen our content on it already, but the weeping plum trees were like something else. Yeah, they were absolutely stunning. I've never seen anything like that, especially when they were in bloom. So really cool. That area actually had like the only weeping plum blossoms in the entire world. So really, really interesting that, that there was like a 
gardener that I guess wanted to bring him back and preserve and, the practice. Yeah, exactly. So he created this area. Really cool spot. Definitely check it out if it is in bloom. But if not, then it's not really worth it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was the last thing that we did before we cruised back to Tokyo on our bullet train and took off coming back to the States. It was an absolutely amazing. I think it probably rated like top three for favorite countries. Five. Yeah, it was. Yeah absolutely stunning but yeah and if you guys want to hear more about the logistics of things we'll be going over all of that in our youtube video like i said with like public transport language barrier currency all that kind of stuff so just keep your eyes out for that because i'm not going to bore you with the details we are going to be wrapping up uh this episode and unfortunately we are going to be wrapping up season two of unfiltered adventures it has been a great season you guys have got to hear about the engagement you've got to hear about us starting this course us getting ready to move into our new house us hit six or seven new countries on this season it's It's been been a long it's been a great season yeah but we're Um, taking off for the summertime so we can really focus on the course and our travels and we're gonna have a ton of really fun content for you guys in the future yeah we'll probably be looking to take like a two or three month break but maybe a little bit longer we're really focusing on our course so but if you guys do want to keep up with all of the behind the scenes content you can check us out on instagram that is probably where we are the most active posting stories daily making sure that we are putting out all the tips and tricks on there if you want content creation tips and want to get more course updates you can check out the creator passport it is a new account we just hit a thousand followers today woohoo and that's where we're going to be posting all of our content creation tips if you guys want to follow the podcast instagram page you can check it out on unfiltered adventures podcast anyway thank you so much for all the support the best way you can support this podcast and keep us coming back for a season three are we gonna have a season three who knows but we will see you guys hopefully soon and like i said the best way to support this is by leaving us a five-star review on apple Podcasts or on spotify or anywhere else you are listening to on our podcast and share it with one other person if they're interested in going to japan or if you're interested in any part of japan make sure to share it with one other person on your instagram story or on your personal, you can just text it to someone. And with that, we are wrapping up season two of Unfiltered Adventures. It's been a fun one, guys. We'll see you on the next adventure.